Hello and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right, folks, welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, and I am with my lovely co-host, Mickey Penzer. How are you, Mickey? Hi, Chris. I'm doing well. It's super nice in New York City today. How are you? I'm good. I'm in New York today, too. Love it. Sunshine's out. It's like the best time of the year to be in New York. There's no humidity. There's no bugs. It's just sunshine, and everyone's feeling great. Um, and our guest comes to us all the way from Israel. Why don't you introduce him, Mickey? So we have Yaron Schwartz here from Skyline Robotics, and he is currently in Israel, but he travels between lots of different places to bring window washing robots, which he's going to tell you more about, and other disruptive technology to the real estate world. Hi, Yaron. So you're on. Hey, how's it going, Yaron everybody? Yaron, you're on. Yaron, I should say. It's easier in the with the catchphrase I told you before. You know, like when you make All a right. bet with someone, you tell them, you're on. You're on. There you go. All right. You're on. How's, how's Israel today? Um, Tel Aviv's nice also. Not too hot. The weather's nice. And today we had, um, we had a big day. We were up on, um, on a new skyscraper today, which is always um, an interesting challenge. So, good times. Yeah. I mean, do you, I've checked out some videos and stuff of, of your technology and it's it's amazing i mean it's uh it's definitely an area that i never really thought about but you know you see people out you know we'll get into the, the little more details later about the company but yeah you, you see people out window washing and you're like wow that's pretty dangerous and you probably thought that and figured hey, there's some way I, I can change that so let's start at the beginning where where'd you grow up where are you born all that kind of stuff um, born in Israel, grew up here, lived here through, um, through a military service. And after that, went traveling, went traveling for a while, for about three years, uh, working on and off on jobs, ended up starting a company, non, non-technological company, just doing sales. It was pretty interesting. It was like my, uh, getting, uh, getting my first, um, my first MBA. I joke with my friends that every time you fail a business, you get another MBA. <laughs> get another degree. Is that part of the culture there to do a lot of traveling between college and high school? Or I don't, I don't know what the equivalent is there. Yeah. Well, in, in Israel, the military service is uh, mandatory. And after that, most folks here go uh, out traveling a bit for a few months, year, so on. It could be anywhere, really. Lots of people go to Australia, New Zealand, India, Thailand, South America. Some surely go to Europe. I think, uh, I think that's kind of the most. And obviously, the United Where, States. Where'd you go? I went to all of those places. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I spent uh, three years working. So I started the business. And then through the, the downtime, I just traveled throughout South America, New Zealand, Australia. I lived in a Swiss Alps for a winter season. I love snowboarding, but nice. that was that was a real treat. Yeah, I got to see the world, experience some culture. Did the business you create 
that was something you could do while you were working remotely? Well, the business I have right now or? No, the one that you created back then. So for the most part, no, no, we were, um, we we built sales teams and um, we're selling different holiday oriented gifts, gift packages. And that was pretty frontal, like in person. So it that's why you could yeah. travel? It was seasonal, that's why I could travel. But also this was, yeah, it was um, more, than, more than 10 years ago. It was, I think, even harder back then to, to work fully remotely. I'm just thinking about uh, Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week, how he you know, created a life that allowed him to travel. I was just trying to think if you, if you created that before that book came out. So you were, did, you've created the sales teams. So you, you had the startup bug. Is that something that you always wanted to do? I mean, were you an entrepreneur like as a kid or were your parents entrepreneurs? Or was your dad a start his own business or anything like that? Where'd that come from? My mom is pretty entrepreneurial. She's kind of been on her, her own path starting businesses. And I, I never had a lemonade stand, but <laughs> from, from a young age, we learned how to, at least in Israel, like online, like shopping, e-commerce, back in the day, like uh-huh. 20 years ago, wasn't a thing yet at all. So we would learn how to order things online to Israel and then sell it with some profit. And we figured that out at a pretty young age. Would you say it's kind of part of the Israeli culture and that's why they have that book, The Startup Nation? Because I think it's kind of part of the DNA there that because it's a small country, it's there's a lot of tech, there's a lot going on, a lot of lack of resources. I think it's kind of prompts a lot of Israelis to be entrepreneurial. Definitely. There's definitely something something here that's that's happening. And I think tech has has been a, a great exponent for this because it allows you like software is very easily transported across borders, much easier than solid goods. So I think that definitely gave a boost to to it of entrepreneurial bug. But yeah, I think the at least the, until I was in my mid twenties, I wasn't even thinking about starting anything or early twenties. Yeah, thinking about any, starting anything in in technology. I was on the path to be a teacher in high school. I actually, was a teacher. Only a year, though. But uh, oh wow, yeah, that was the path. I was almost going to be a teacher too. What happened? I took my exams, my teaching exams, and I realized my mother was involved with the public education system here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. There was a salary cap. There was a salary cap, which I didn't like. I didn't like being told, "All right, if you work ten years, you're going to make this much money." I wanted to, you know. That's why I kind of got into a, that's why I got into an entrepreneurial role. I wanted my efforts to correspond with my uh, my pay, my rewards. So, but there's a different kind of rewards in, in you know being a teacher. But uh, yeah. money was always like an issue growing up, and so I didn't want mm-hmm. that to be. I didn't want to be tied into a certain thing, and it was always like so. I wanted to be get around that. So, got into something a little more entrepreneurial, which is, and I love it. So tell me about your 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 break in this technology. Did you start off and like involved with the you know the property technology space, or was there other startups and technology companies along the way? 
there were a few things along the way. While I was doing my degree in psychology and education, I was watching a lot of TED uh-huh. and getting exposed to lots of new ideas. And I, and I think this is like common to like consume this type of media online. Again, I'm talking like 10 years ago. And as I was starting to become a teacher and became a teacher, I was exposed to all of these pretty radical idea, ideas about accelerating technologies and how people are putting them to use or researching them, uh, using them for art. And when I arrived at the end of the first year of teaching and I already decided that I wasn't going to continue, I had an opportunity to join a startup in the kind of pseudo pharma industry. So basically looking at commercializing interesting IP around something with sugar metabolism. Uh-huh. And I came in and very quickly we reorganized and from trying to sell a product, we understood that there's going to be much more interesting to actually sell and license the IP, which is then what we went and did. And eight months later, the IP was fully sold. And I was looking at suddenly the tech industry, which I had zero knowledge about eight months earlier, (laughs) with all these crazy ideas of things you see on TED. I tried it. I mean, I dabbled with a few startups, joined two or three startups in like e-commerce, figured out it wasn't for me. And the next thing I tried to do was start a multidisciplinary innovation center for accelerating hardware, kind of like a center with seven different labs looking at synthetic biology, augmented human capabilities, AI, robotics, 3D printing, advanced materials. No one understood what I was talking about. This is like 2015 maybe. I'm pretty sure no one understands what I'm talking about today. When I talk about this, maybe I don't even understand. It was like being catapulted failing this startup because we weren't successful in launching the center. So you were trying to put together like a physical space for people to come and, and like a, was it like a, it was a yeah. lab for these companies. It was a, what's Think, the word uh, I'm looking for? You know what what tech they call shop it? You know, the tech, tech shop, shop fab lab. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So something like that on steroids and focused at generating IP around which you can design products. How do you do that? So the idea was breeding innovation through cross-disciplinary innovation, right? So Uh if you put a robotics lab next to an advanced materials lab, next to a synthetic biology lab, and these people are meeting for coffee, then the thesis was they would germinate ideas, solutions, because of the different disciplines. Uh-huh. Love that. I, mean, and, I work in a, uh, a co-working space, yeah. like it's an open floor plan, and there's a bunch of different companies. That's in my Silicon Valley uh, office. And yeah, you talk to you know, a guy who's running you know, a cannabis company and another guy who's like an investment banker. To, it's all these people coming together. I think it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And I think what's interesting with science is that in many cases, solutions 
are black and white. They're finite. They're exact. And so you're working on a problem. You can't solve it. And suddenly you bring another mind in and together you solve that problem. And that could be simply through conversation and looking at the problem of materials through the lens of biology. That's kind of where we were going with it. And the reason we, this wasn't successful is we didn't have a good business model around it. And I mean, today, quite a few years later, lots of these spaces in different sizes, shapes, forms, and, and business models come up. And for the most part, they're not profitable. And those that are thriving, maybe some have successful businesses, but I would say the most uh, are living off, the most are, are, are living off uh, either uh, a kind of nonprofit model or donation model. And the vast majority obviously don't really survive. Uh-huh. I think you said every failure gives you a new degree. So what was your biggest takeaway, positive or negative from that, that led you to your next iteration? This was the first failure. There were, there were many understandings from lessons learned with partners, good and bad. It was the first time I pitched anything in terms of like pitching a startup. And so I wasn't doing a good job, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, well, maybe you were, but you're just saying it wasn't the right model. So maybe you were pitching, doing a good job pitching. It just wasn't the right thing to pitch. Both are probably true. I would say, though, that one of the most incredible things that happened as a result is that I found out about Singularity University. I won a scholarship to go study there in 2014. and on the cuff of closing that kind of idea of startup, if you want, getting exposed suddenly to phenomenal minds working on fantastic, almost unimaginable technology. So, okay, this, this is over, but the what's next question has such a wide lens going out of it that it was just pure inspiration. Nice. Tell me about how you started Skyline. Like, where did that, where did that idea come from? Tell us about the company. So, we started Skyline Robotics two-ish years ago, and Avi Abadi and myself started it. We actually met again on the cuff of closing our own previous startups. Uh, I wrote a weird message on Facebook in some some like startup groups here. He wrote a weird reply. I said, "Okay, let's let's meet." And literally, we met up some night at a WeWork here in Tel Aviv and told each other our backgrounds. Um, you've heard kind of a lot of a lot of mine. Avi's background in brief is that he has about a decade of experience developing robots from micro robots that swim in your brain tissue to uh, super large scale robotics. (laughs) Yeah. Phenomenal. And what's really crazy about us meeting is that my previous startup was focused on 3d printing concrete to 3d print homes, which I closed because I figured it was too early for the market. Avi's previous Uh startup 
was focused on 3D printing concrete to 3D print homes, which he closed because he also didn't raise money for it. And so when we tell each other this, we kind of look at each other sideways and say, all right, so what are we going to do together? And through our kind of common passion for prop tech or construction tech and bringing robotic systems to perform tasks, services, we started looking at the industry. And then we were daunted by everything related to working at heights. You look specifically at window cleaning. You have a couple of people hanging hundreds of feet in the air. And it seems ridiculous that we haven't found a safer, more efficient solution. Because when you think about it, really, buildings, skyscrapers along the last hundred so years have fully changed. The first skyscraper was 10 stories. Today, skyscrapers start at, what, 50? But the way we've done maintenance for these buildings hasn't really changed. Yeah. And today, the the supply simply can't meet the demand. If you ask the big property management companies, you know, the ISSs and ABMs and so on of the world, they have hundreds of thousands of people they employ but there's a 50 to 60% churn every year. They're actually massive HR companies, right? You have to recruit so many people. And that's because these jobs, they're, they grind you down. They're not satisfactory. And you know what? They're not really appreciated. And I would, again, here I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, people want to, feel their job is appreciated and they want to feel like they have some form of growth in their job and so on and so forth, which is why today you don't see many youth, right? Jumping at these types of jobs. No. Um, and so really what we're doing at Skyline Robotics is we're just filling the gap in the market at the moment. Well, how's it work? Like, so there's a robot and you just put it on your window or how, how does this whole thing work? What's the... A- Magic. It sounds like magic. (laughs) So the way we look at the system is through a three-part lens. Um, And before that, let's think of how the job is performed today. You have some form of uh, lift system that sits on the top of the building, whether that's a BMU or a swing stage, doesn't matter. Uh, But there's something holding a platform, right? And then in that platform, normally there'll be a person and his hand is reaching outside of that platform, holding some apparatus, let's call it a squeegee, and uh-huh. he's maintaining cleaning the window. Yes. So we use all that same infrastructure, except on that basket, we install a robotic arm that has all the same mobility as the human arm has, and it actually holds a very similar tool. And we use, instead of soap, we use what's called reverse osmosis. It's basically pure water that we purify through a filter system we put on the roof. And the interesting quality of pure water is that it doesn't have minerals inside of it. And so it really acts like glue to things like oils and salt. So basically the dirt 
is mineral, it's salt. And the grit oh. from the exhaust in cars is basically oil. And so it's absorbing these, this dirt into it and leaves the window as clean as can be. Cool. Wow. So tell me about the company. Like, what's the growth? Are you located across the globe? Or are you just in Israel? Or are you- so we're yeah. two years old. So we haven't yet deployed globally. Give us another about, I don't know, three, four days for that. <laughs> we, um, we, we just deployed in Israel this year, and that's going pretty well. We're about to deploy first system in New Jersey for some testing. Obviously, there are different needs in the U.S. as compared to Israel, for example, you know, from a, moving from the metric to imperial system and all the way to, obviously, different clients and therefore different needs and, and desires. But we expect uh, very shortly to start operating coast to coast. What what have you learned so far? I mean, you said you learned from your failures. This one seems to be a success so far. So you you used all those quote unquote failures to help you launch this business and grow this business. What's the hardest part about growing a startup? The one hard thing? Well, There, there are challenges everywhere, everywhere you look. And the only way forward, really, is by not giving up, which doesn't mean being fully stubborn and maintaining your own point of view, always not listening to anyone. It just means knowing what to listen to and what not to listen to. Um, And maybe that's the common thread. And so that's also the common thread for failures which is know when to stop, right? Which doesn't mean give up on your path. It just means not this road. Um, Do you have any advice for any either young people or people who are looking to pivot their careers into the property tech space? Any advice for those people? Well, first of all, I would say if you've made up your mind that you want to start a startup, then the prop tech, construction tech, real estate tech space, I think today is the right place to be. Um, Uh I mean, it's a sector that really hasn't been disrupted in, I would argue, about 100 years. And so that makes it just an amazing space to be in. Uh Whether or not someone should start a startup, whether that's the right life for them, that depends on the person. It's like being on an emotional roller coaster 24-7. You don't have to start and run a startup to be involved in the space. You could also be like an advisor. You could be an investor. You could be an employee. Which is why I said amazing space to get into. Mickey bouncing off, bouncing off what you said, like, if an investor wants to come into the space. So talking here, not maybe only to investors, but I think real estate tech, prop tech, is a really interesting space for people within the industry to become advisors and investors, even if they don't necessarily have the capital or don't want to put in the capital, but have other ways to create value for a startup. 
And one of the most mm-hmm. important ways or, or important things, lessons that a startup needs is to figure out product market fit. That's like the most important. And a way that this is done is by obviously testing on customers and potential customers. And there are various ways of doing this, but there are a lot of people in the industry, in the real estate industry, that have this client base. Whether they are the client, whether they have access to the client, that's a way they can bring value to a startup. And if they do this, like if they do this service well, then they brought immense value to the startup. And I would say that that could even uh, definitely warrant equity. And so there are ways that folks in the industry today can get involved, even if they don't want to be a capital investor. Any mentors that have, have really helped you along the lines here? Yeah, many. I've been blessed. Kai Adam was, is an amazing mentor. And, uh, Omri Haim, and I mean, yeah, these are just like two that jumped to my top of my head. Gotcha. Any books you'd recommend to someone who trying to, who would like to uh, be involved in this space or that has helped you through your career? Definitely. The first book I would recommend any and every person to read, best negotiating book I've ever read, and an interesting take on negotiating, and it's called Never Split the Difference. Like Chris Voss. Yeah, I've read that. I read that. It's great. Fantastic. And Atomic Habits. There are lots of books about why healthy habits, how to do it. This is one of the more practical, kind of step by step, just follow what the dude says and incorporate new habits into your life. And I would say measure what matters for anyone starting a business or wanting to get to better understand why they do and what they should do measure what matters. I don't know that one, but I'll check it out. And how do people um, get a hold of you? What's your website? Uh, Skylinerobotics.net is our website and yeah, check us out. Cool, man. Well, so my friend, Zach Garber, who also has a podcast about Baltimore called Charm City, he met Yaron at a conference called Nexus, which is for young change makers. And Uh he, since Yaron's project was designed to help make housing more affordable, and that's a particular area of interest of mine, that's how we got connected originally. And he knows gotcha. Genghis Cohen too. <laughs> well, well, true. And your lives have all changed for the better because of it, right? Well, we're here today, right? There you go, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Thanks so much. Are you going to be in New York soon? You said next next week. Yeah, starting next week, I'll be in New York for 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 a bit, probably uh, just over two weeks. So let me know when you're back in town. And yeah, I'll be I'll be back in California next week, but. Um, yeah, let's yeah, love to meet you and uh thanks again for your time. Thank you both. Thank you for coming on. All right, you're on. Have a Bye. good one. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate.
Until next time, have a great week.